Hey Jazz fans, Dan Clayton here, the managing editor of Salt City Hoops. If you listened to the last installment of the Salt City Hoops podcast, you know that my brother Ken and I had way too much to talk about in our In Their Own Words podcast for one episode. So welcome in to part two. Be sure to catch the first installment where we previewed the season by parsing quotes directly from the likes of Quinn Snyder, Ricky Rubio, Donovan Mitchell, a very honest Derek Favors, and more. But uh, today, in this episode, we continue on. We'll hear from Rudy Gobert about his development over his career, from Dennis Lindsay about where Dante Exum is at, and much, much more. So here now is part two of In Their Own Words. Another guy who wants to take it up a notch is Rudy Gobert. His quote that I grabbed from, from last week. Um, And this is interesting because it reinforces a point I've made ever since Rudy was a rookie. He he was asked a question. I believe this was on the radio with the 1280 guys. Um, He was asked a question and the premise was basically like, oh, yeah, your rookie year, you were like the superstar player with superstar talent just waiting around to be called on and you never got put in games. Right. And I'm paraphrasing a little and, and being brutally um, I'm brutally oversimplifying their point, but Rudy kind of corrected them. And he, he said, it's also a lot of work. The confidence in me drives me to do what I need to do to get better. I keep working. And even today I'm working to, to be better than I am now. Um, later on, he said, this is the best Rudy Gobert there has ever been. I think he said that to, to Locke and, uh, and Boone on the, on the video interviews. But, but my point in including that quote is, you know, it's, it's easy to think of Rudy's trajectory as he has always been this good. And it just took a couple of years for the jazz to figure that out and, and pull that greatness out of him. Um, and, I, and I think what Rudy is saying is like, Hey, give me credit in the way you tell my story. Give me credit for the fact that I wasn't good right off the bat. Give me credit for the fact that as a rookie, there were times when I was lost a little bit. I, I figured it out. I put in the work and, you know, from where I sit, this is, I'm not, this is Dan talking again. I'm no longer in Rudy's voice. Okay. I know that, I know that was confusing. Got it. I think that that's a better story anyway. Um, I mean, we all know that Ty Corman didn't use Rudy enough his rookie year. You know, 427 minutes is ridiculous for a player that just has his physical tools, let alone skill set. So I'm not, I'm not saying that it has to be one or the other, but, uh, but I, I think that it's a more, I think that there's more basketball romanticism, if you will, in the version where. Rudy shows up and has a lot of work to do and then goes out and turns himself into a defensive player of the year and a top, you know, 10 to 15 player in the NBA. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. The, I mentioned earlier the fire and the, that we're unlikely to see the fire and the, mm-hmm. and the, the hunger to improve disappear from Rudy Gobert. Um, although, and, I, and I'm trying to remember the details. I, I, early, early, early in the season, I, I did feel like that was missing a little bit. You didn't see... Uh, he didn't seem quite as engaged. Well, once he got back from the second injury, there was no question that was there. Um, yeah. So just and, and again, maybe that was again uh, part of the 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 confusion around all the roles changing around him. Uh, who knows? Who who knows what caused it? But but hopefully this time with the excitement that there is with this team and and again rolling it back, maybe that helps because there should be less confusion. I'd love to see him start off uh, fully engaged and, and the enforcer that he is from from day one, game one. 
agreed um, on all of that. And, you know, you're right. He, I don't know if it was engagement or what, but he just wasn't, he was weirdly not as effective as, as we're right. used to seeing early in the season. Um, and then, you know, came back and obviously was um, trophy worthy in his performance on the one end of the court. And, and I still think it's, it's really underrated the impact he has on the offensive end with his, his screening, his rolling, you know, he he has unique gravity. It's not a Kyle Korver. I say this as Kyle Korver is literally on NBA TV in front of my face. He doesn't have the Kyle Korver kind of gravity where people are going to chase him at 30 feet, but there is a unique kind of gravity that, that Rudy Gobert has. You know, a lot of Ricky Rubio's and Donovan Mitchell's open shots came because two guys followed Rudy on a lot of those roles. So, um you know he's a he's a really important player and and I, I i interpreted that quote as him saying you know don't don't shortchange me like i got better i made myself better and and it sounds like he's right. interested in continuing to do that um all right we'll go kind of lightning round here cuz now we're we're into some bench players and their quotes um i like this quote by by tabo um he mentioned that he that he spent a lot of the year kind of um, sitting with the coaching staff, paying more attention to the coaching side of things. And about that, he said, it was very interesting to see how Quinn works with the rest of the coaches and how everybody brings something to the table and how many hours they spend getting us ready. And I don't know that there's a ton there to parse or discuss, but um, just thought that that was cool that Tabo, who's 34, got a chance to see another part of the basketball ecosystem. And we'll see if that makes him better able to a perform and and b um you know help his teammates through the game this upcoming season i don't know any thoughts on that one uh just really more just an nba culture uh point that it it is crazy and and before the jazz kind of joined the the um 20 assistant coach uh, group <laughs> in the NBA. Um, it, it, it always seemed so foreign to me to look at these other teams with this long list of assistant coaches. But when Snyder came in and, and brought a bunch of assistants with him, you can really see the development that happens as a result of that. And um, it's it's pretty impressive. You know, you, you, you read articles and tweets now about how the assistant coaches have a couple players before and after practices, they're working with guys on things they need to do. You know, there used to be, I want to think, if I look back to my first season following the Jazz, 1983-84, I had two assistant coaches, maybe three. I'd have to look back and see. Um, But there was not a, and there were other people too. There was a trainer and there was probably a strength guy. Actually, I'm not sure there was a strength guy if you go back that far. Um, But there there's just so much more development and so much more preparation that happens now uh, mm-hmm. that's really improved the team here locally, but it's improved the game globally too. Uh, I, I should say within the within this league because you can see it's it's just br- bringing up the competition across the league, and that's that's a cool thing to see. For sure, for sure. Um, Alec Burks said, by the way, this is the most Alec Burks quote ever. Um, <laughs> he he was asking yeah, about his. He was asked about his playing time, um, and he said, that's up to coach, man. That's above my pay grade, which, first of all, no, it's not. Like, look at your pay grade relative to Quinn Snyder's pay grade. (laughs) You make more than him. So I get what he's trying to say, but pay grade. Um, And then he said, I've shown that I can play at the highest level. But why, why I thought this was interesting and why I wanted to include it, I thought it was interesting that 
the two players who really stood out against Perth on Saturday night. And again, it was Perth. And again, that's not NBA competition and whatever. But the two guys who really made the most of that night were two guys who I just don't think that there were rotation minutes for both of them. I, I don't think Grayson Allen and Alec Burks can both play regular minutes on a Jazz team that has, you know, Rubio, Mitchell, Exum, Royce O'Neal, all at the all at the one and two spot. A couple of those guys can play some three minutes in a pinch, but then you're cutting into Joe Ingles minutes and you know, Tabo and Jay probably have to take some minutes at the three to, to both get playing time. So I you know, point is depth is a good thing. The the other side of the coin though is that somebody's not gonna not gonna get as much playing time as they want. And I think that it's probably gonna come down to one of Alec and Grayson is gonna have kind of a, you know, fifteen minute a game type of role. And the other one is basically going to not play except in blowouts. And, I, and I'm and i not sure what your prediction is or, or who you foresee getting that 15-minute-a-night role or if you see a completely different pecking order than I do. Well, assuming that either of them – I mean, there, there's also probably some possibility that neither of them really even gets that sure. many minutes. But if, if we assume that one of them does and one of them doesn't, I, I think you could – it could go one of two ways, or I guess three ways. Um, one thing we've seen in the past, not as much with Snyder, but but around the league and, and maybe with prior jazz coaches, is kind of you get one guy gets the first half, one guy gets the second half, and and the other thing that, that the one thing that Snyder did last year, which actually drove me nuts, was he did the back and forth games with uh, Cephalosha and Jarebko. Yeah. So he'd say, "This is your game, and this game you're you're not playing this game," and almost no no matter what happened, it was like they were redshirting that game. I still expect that because because Alec is right in in one way that he has shown he can play at the highest level periodically um, and then he can play at almost the lowest level periodically but I I think I there was probably a 10 to 20 percent chance he might have been moved this off season I think that gets closer to a 50 50 possibility as we get closer to the deadline and and I and maybe even higher than 50 50 I think that I think eventually somebody around the league um, you know maybe it's just expiring for expiring or something but maybe somebody says hey let's give him a shot to give us a, a shot in the arm whether it's a team trying to get into the playoff picture or a good team that just has an injury that needs a, a backup shooting guard that sort of thing um, I think he'll have a chance, but I, I think I'll be a little surprised if he finishes the season um, in Utah. Uh, that doesn't mean he won't play, but I, but that's that's just what I would expect uh, with him because I do think the Jazz are pretty loaded at positions he can play, and that's probably where yeah that's that's where I see it probably going. Um, we'll see if I'm right. Yeah, you know I I think my confidence level of him um, being the the subject of an eventual trade would be higher if there were more teams in the NBA with cap season, just because he's, you know, his salary is up there. Again, but again back to his pay grade. Um, he makes a lot of money, and that makes him difficult to trade. And, and we're going into the season with one NBA team possessing cap space. That's Sacramento, who won tonight in the thriller of all exhibition contests. They won 106-102 at Phoenix. So King Suns ah. in the preseason, everybody. Clear your schedule. Oh man, why am I why am I not downtown watching that? Let's... I know, seriously. Um, 
But anyway, uh, Sacramento has around $7 million in cap space. They're the only team with cap space. They'll have more than that by the time they make their camp cuts. But they'll they'll go into the season with only around $9 million in cap space, which is not enough to absorb an Alec Burks. Um, and no one else has room to absorb him. Now, like you said, you can do some other stuff where you trade Alec for a player who makes 6 7 or $8 million. You could, you know, involve multiple players, whatever. There are some iterations where you could make a trade work. I'm not saying it's unworkable. I'm just saying I do think that brings the likelihood down a little bit. And and even in the meantime, you just the Jazz have so many players who um are are good, you know, in a vacuum they are rotation quality players, but they can't all be rotation players on this Utah Jazz team because you're talking about like, you know, as many as seven guys who can play the one or the two and are probably expecting minutes going in. So we'll we'll see how they manage that. Um, yeah. Not not sure there will be minutes for AB and Grayson. And to your point, not sure there's, you know, there there may not be minutes, there may not be many minutes for either one of them. Um, another one of those guys that can play the guard is Exum. I didn't actually grab an Exum quote because there was a whole mess of, is he there? No, he's not there. Yes, he is there. He's getting a physical. He's not going to talk. Wait, now he's talking. Whatever. All of that happened and um they never got his interviews posted but i did grab this dennis Lindsay quote about exum he said what he did was exceedingly difficult speaking of last season he joined a very high functioning playoff team as a 22 year old and played very well he played well and allowed us to increase the margin from the bench so um again that's kind of just gm speak but wanted to use that as an opportunity to quickly talk here about um, Exum, who today David Locke referred to as, you know, the guy who could maybe shape the Jazz's season a little bit, or, or at least if there are players who could redefine the ceiling of the Utah Jazz, he seems to think that Dante Exum is one of those players who could really change the ceiling in a way that, you know, it's important that Don- that Tabo and or Jay play great. It's important that Donovan keeps getting better, all those things. But in terms of a player who could really kind of change the best case scenario for the 18-19 Jazz, um, Exum could be that type of guy. Yeah, agreed. I mean, he, he he's a guy who will be coming out of nowhere, not because we don't expect it and, and not because uh, a lot of people aren't, what is it, residents of Exum Island, but mm-hmm. that he's coming out of nowhere literally because he did not play last year except for, you know, whatever the last 10 games or whatever it was. Uh, when he was out there, he looked good. He, he he still had the burst of speed. In fact, I felt like he had it more or used it more than he ever had before, just in that last segment of the season and in the playoffs. Um, just got to stay healthy and continue to use it and continue to keep that, that aggressiveness going and not have any more, uh, you know, obviously he made it through the off season without getting injured. Um, Let's not get him injured in a freak preseason accident like he did last year, and hopefully he's all good. I I, I would love to see it. I uh, want him to do great. He you know he's going to have a chance this year, hopefully, barring injury. I mean we say that every year, but he's he he really will. I I think I I mean last year should have been really his coming out party because he wasn't you know he was he was on a tight leash as long as Gordon Hayward was with the team the year before. And then he gets the longer leash, and he gets injured in in the Phoenix preseason game. Yeah. So hopefully this year he really gets that coming out party. He's he's getting paid pretty well. So hopefully he uh, 
comes out and shows that he's deserved that. Yeah. Um, I think you just didn't grab a quote from him because you couldn't understand his accent. <laughs> he, uh, yeah, that's that's probably true. Um, he has uh, he's been ruled out for Tuesday night's game against Toronto because of knee soreness, but. Our friend Ben Dowsett has uh, has gone on the record saying he's pretty sure that's just um, the Jazz being extra precautious, that that's not a serious injury. Agree with you, though. Um, it's funny. We were talking earlier about how Donovan kind of um, like did the opposite of what his scouting report said coming into the NBA. And Exum was another guy like that who, when he arrived in the league, everybody said, oh, this guy's just going to be able to get to the rim at will. And he's going to be an electric scorer and really fun to watch get to the basket all the time. But we're not sure he can defend anybody. And so far in the NBA, his profile has been kind of the reverse of that. He's been, he can be right. um, a lockdown defender. And then, you know, we'll see if he ever really develops as a reliable scorer. But, but he did good things on a per 36 basis in those 14 games plus playoffs that he played last year. So I think everybody who listens to us and and reads my work knows that i'm an exum guy and and that i'm hoping it'll all come together for the aussie guard uh last well quote. and i oh go ahead. Well, i just quickly i was gonna say of course i was uh joking about the australian accent because i know you can understand it because we have been named a few years ago i think honorary australians and a connection to last night's game we we i don't know if you remember this because it was just a weird overnight thing we spent a night in perth we did not see the wildcats though oh that's right yeah we did um flew in and stayed in some weird like rental house <laughs> i thought it was more of a hotel but yeah anyway yeah and then we flew out the next morning to the red yeah. center so um well that's good i'll consider myself a wildcat fan now um you know get my bryce cotton jersey the last quote i, I wanted to share and this is um, kind of just to make a quick point more than anything nazmi true long one of the jazz's two-way contract guys had this to say he said, I'm excited and ready whenever the opportunity comes. And if it never comes, I'll just be an individual who's going to be around the organization, ready to do what I need to do when my name's called. Um, and, you know, that's kind of how you want your two-way guys and your, and your non-guaranteed contracts, your camp contract guys talking. But what I thought was interesting about that and also just as, as Tyler Cavanaugh and Trey Lewis and and Isaac Haas, as other guys were talking, um, you heard them talking about being excited about playing with each other at the stars. And I just thought that that was interesting that, you know, from the two way guys and, and, and on down, there seems to be a lot of transparency about roles. In other words, I don't think anybody came to camp this year um, for as much as the jazz talk about wanting to use those spots to find the next Royce O'Neill or the next Jonathan Simmons. I don't think anybody came to camp this year with a false pretense. I think the guys who came to mostly make the the stars better and to make that a more meaningful part of the Jazz's development ecosystem came knowing that that's what they're what they're going to do. And um, and I don't know, you know, maybe that's maybe that's not as valuable as I'm making it sound. But um, you know, I don't think anyone's going to be ticked off when they get cut from cut from training camp. Is is what I'm saying more than anything. No, I think there's a pretty bright line um i don't know exactly why that seems like it's been there more not just with the jazz but around the league in recent years uh, maybe it's the expansion of the rosters whatever it is it just seems it feels like there's a brighter line now between making the team which is now like the 15th guy and not making the team 
Yeah. And uh, where where it used to be, I mean, there was some real drama on on cut down day when you had to get down to twelve. Yeah. Um, you know, there were guys who uh, my very first year following the team when Tom Boswell got cut, he had some nasty things to say about the team. And the guy he got cut to make room for, well, no, actually that's not true. I was gonna say it was John Stockton. It wasn't. Uh, it was really Billy Paltz. So it was, you know. It just feels like nowadays, probably because the number of teams and the number of positions in a in a in a 30 team, 15 spot league, that um, that's 450 if you're doing the math at home, that there's a brighter line now between the 15th and 16th man, and occasionally a guy comes in as a as a hopeful and makes it in, but in general, you know, most teams come in with at least 13, 14 guaranteed contracts already sometimes 15 and it's 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 all academic the other five guys are just there for practice and then go down to the go down to the G League affiliate that was that was a billy the whopper paltz reference for the it was um, and yep, by the tom way boswell, tom boswell went away and billy paltz came in and jerry eaves who and, dad called stop at the line eaves uh, 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 was waived to make room for john stockton in 1984 and, and by the way had billy paltz been cut instead then who would have gone into that to that game against Houston and ticked Olajuwon off to the point that Olajuwon hauled off and punched him in the face and got ejected during a was it a playoff game? It was. It uh, was yeah. uh, got, got it was game five in Houston. Got Akeem, and this was pre H Akeem. This was just yes. Akeem, not Hakeem. Um got Akeem tossed from a playoff game, uh Billy Paltz did. So, you know, the Whopper making making the most of that uh of that camp battle um, yeah, that, yeah was a, I, that, was a, that was a crazy game that was it was billy paltz fred roberts john stockton before he was john stockton uh i mean it was such a bad age. age yeah yeah it was it wasn't john h stockton <laughs> um it was just such a band of, of, of no names uh out there uh, frustrating Akeem Olajuwon, beating Ralph Sampson. You know, it, it was it was a it, it, that was a great game. That was my that was uh, that was the next year. So that was my second playoffs. Yeah, yeah. 1985. But uh, yeah, great great series. Um, well, that sounds like it should be a whole other podcast. As for this one, <laughs> we have just uh, gone through ten interesting or or you know potentially insightful quotes about this year's jazz coming straight from the horses mouths um those horses of course being jazz players coaches and staff um hopefully that's been interesting for uh for everybody to hear the discussion um as started by by those by those jazz personnel and and everything that they had to say as camp got going last week the Jazz are now 1-0 in preseason play and uh, about to start the really earnest part of their preseason schedule where they're going up against NBA teams starting with the Toronto Raptors of Kawhi Leonard. So we'll stay tuned for that. We'll be back, obviously, with more podcasts here at saltcityhoops.com and uh, we'll have all the coverage that you have come to expect throughout the course of the season. So thanks for joining us and uh, we'll uh, wrap this one up. 